Hello and welcome to WMQ&A. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week our guest is the creator of The Pride, Glitter Vipers, Acceptable Losses, and his current project, The Miracles, now on Kickstarter, is Joe Glass. Welcome, Joe. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so, uh, a little Rich Johnston uh, told me that uh, you were the first person in comics to get vaccinated. <laughs> uh, Whether that's true or not, you know. <laughs> we, yeah, it's, it's one of those things we can't be 100 I did find out um, shortly after he took my tweet and made an article out of it, um, was that a friend of mine who's also in comics here in the UK, mm-hmm. um, uh, they... Um, were part of a vaccine trial mm. um but of course being part of a trial you don't know if you've been vaccinated or if you've had the placebo so i know possibly i was the first person in comics vaccinated possibly <laughs> who knows i was quite surprised at how many people in comics who let's face it are over the age of 60 70 still hadn't had it when i had mine um mm. Obviously, I got a day job here where I'm an essential worker, but at the same time, I was like, "That's a bit surprising." Yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I can't I can't speak for Britain, but it's 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 been off to a you know maybe not as as fast a start as everybody would like, but uh, you know, <laughs> can't all get vaccinated it at once, unfortunately. Is. Yeah, it is what it is, man. That's 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 the 2021 motto. But um, yeah. <laughs> It's better than the 2020 motto. Ah, God, murder hornets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but uh, let's 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 start with our our regular uh, first time guest icebreaker. Uh, you know what what comics do you remember uh, reading when you first got into comics? Uh, the big one. I mean, it, generally it was weird. I was kind of reading almost all X Men books. Um, like because, but like never in, in an order. Like for me, the whole collector thing. I mm-hmm. I do collect. Like I do like I, in that I buy comics and they sit here, but I don't like really sort them out or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the whole oh, I need to get it from this start and get this whole run thing. But I never really became a thing for me because like starting reading comics, it was like uh, there was a what we call a Poundland around the corner. Um, I guess uh, like a dollar store, I guess. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used to have American comics in there, but they'd be like completely random um, things and you get like five for a pound. So I was like, well, I guess I'm into this with my pocket money now. <laughs> um, so that was like the, the the start. And I was like, that was like X-Force X-Men. It, it was nearly all X-Men books, weirdly, but like I was getting them all. Um, and then Generation X uh, started. And that was one where I sort of came in from the start. And just big, that was when I was really addicted. Um, so mm-hmm. Gen X was my big one. So are you? Seems to be a lot of people, to be fair. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I started in '93, so you know, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean, like, like I, I think whatever, whenever you start reading, like those are your kids. So I like yeah. for me because Generation X is probably like a year after I started reading. It was really the X Force kids, you know. I yeah. guess formerly the New Mutants, but. You know, now it's like, more so me, like I keep on looking around and going, like, why is there always the new mutants? Where are my Gen X is at? <laughs> Where is Mondo? Is Mondo okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and me, as a Batman person, it's your Robin. And I started oh. reading six months after Tim Drake was introduced. So it's always <laughs> like, oh, Damien, big, give me my, come on, where's Tim? Stop giving Tim the short end of the stick. 
But it could be worse. I could be a Wally West fan. Oh, God, yeah. Hard times for Wally West and sometimes, isn't it? A little bit. I mean, I don't think Jason Todd fans are eating particularly well, but... <laughs> no, that's true, but... The new but... Jason Todd looks good, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm still curious how it all works. I mean, like, set in future Gotham and everything, so, like, I guess future states continuing technically, but like it sounds good and it looks good. And if it's anything like the short, which was in what was it like the uh, second next Batman issue? Sec- or- uh, Dark Detective. Yeah, um, like that was great. Like and it looked gorgeous. So like I'm for it. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully, good good stuff for Jason Todd fans soon. Yeah, Knockwood. I mean, I, I, yeah, <laughs> just 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 he's not gonna wind up possessed by the devil so he's better <laughs> off than poor poor wally he was also my flash so it's like oh god every time they just try to bring him back it's like and we're gonna do something else really horrible to poor wally west who never did anything to anybody other than not be barry allen <sighs> uh, so uh you're in the middle of your newest kickstarter campaign for uh oh. your ogn the miracles uh, can you give us a little elevator pitch for the book? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, it's basically a family a family drama superhero thing, um, but it's kind of like, what if the secret of your family was that you're actually comic book characters um, who escaped into the real world? So some tremendous catastrophe, shall we call it, um, happened, and in the midst of this, in um, in I can't really say infinite, can I? <laughs> In the midst of this never-ending catastrophe, or whatever we're going to call it, um, your family escaped into the real world, and it kind of picks up, um, like, 16 years later, the kid that, who was a baby at the time is now Elliot Morgan, teenager, like, finishing high school, um, and discovers his superpowers. Um, and then ev- and the family secret then starts sort of, like, coming out, as it were. Um, so that's kind of like the idea. It's kind of like um, Invincible, but crossed with sort of like the teen drama soap operas um, of the likes of like Riverdale and the OC um, and comic wise getting it together. So like kind of having all that sort of like emotional drama um, stuff, which I loved both as a fan of teen dramas the TV shows, but also the fact that, like, as I say, X-Men comics, like, particularly in the 90s, they, they were soap operas, basically. Um, they were just soap operas with superpowers, and that's kind of where we're going with uh, The Miracles. Uh, I, I will say my, my ears pricked up in reading the pitch for the book and, and seeing, uh, you know, the OC uh, in, in the mix yeah. there. Uh, I, you know, obviously. He seems to be enjoying something of a resurgence lately. He is, man. Very trending on Twitter. Uh, is it I, you streaming know, it's, it's, anywhere? HBO Max. Okay. And like because... Patrick Willems just did a big, um, uh, like, breakdown uh, kind of thing of it on, on his um, YouTube channel. Mm. Um, which is brilliant and you should check it out um, but like he did like this whole video about like why VOC was so amazing and I'm like yeah yeah it was like I, I was totally addicted to this show because okay. I never watched it but now looking at the cast it's like okay I've seen this person and things I like and this person and things I like and this person I need to check this show out uh, you, like, you like that good dad it. Peter Gallagher you like that good dad Peter oh, Gallagher yeah. you're, you're going to love the OC <laughs> oh yeah oh, oh yeah. yeah Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist Peter Gallagher 
<laughs> and and uh, Autumn Reeser, who's one of the regulars on the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, cool. She, she's fantastic. You got to wait till the fourth season, though, when yeah. she actually joins the cast. That's, that's when she starts to shine. <laughs> And then it gets uh, I can make it. I mean, you know, young Jim Gordon is in there for the entire <laughs> series. So, <laughs> and the Playing only the actor, the same character. <laughs> oh, the only yeah. actor to ever play both Gordon and Batman. Oh, huh. Batman Year well. One. He was oh, the, what, the, the animated, animated Batman Year One. He was oh, the okay. voice of Batman, and uh, Walter White was Jim Gordon in that. Great, oh, wow. great okay. voice cast on that that particular animated film. Oh, fair play. Yeah, I do like the idea of Cranston as Gordon. That's 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 good Body, stuff. Yeah, because he could also like grow that mustache IRL, and that's that's Jim Gordon right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, how did you how did you get your your team together for this project? Um, it, it's it's weird. The the miracles has been going on in some form of a or ever a background with me for years, like um, probably as long as I've been working on The Pride. Um, it was a story I kind of always wanted to tell, the, the whole idea, the basic con uh, conceit of it and concept. Um, so for years and years, it's kind of had different formats, different structures, um, and as a result, actually different artists attached to it for years. Like, um, like at one point, I was looking at maybe doing it like a, a six issue story arc and I reached out to Chris Anker who did some of the early designs and then um, for a while we were looking at maybe doing it as a digital comic um, for four issues and we were initially looking uh, Zoe Farragut uh, was going to potentially draw it um, so like it's kind of had like a people coming in and out and then we were at a stage where I still wasn't quite happy with the idea of breaking the story down into the traditional um, issue format and we're thinking like maybe this is a book, maybe it's not a like maybe it's not even comics, maybe it's prose, I don't know, kind of thing. And like trying to work out the story because it's, so, it's so weird sometimes when you think about writing, it's not just um, writing the story and like getting the the arcs and everything. So you've got to think sometimes, particularly as a self-published um, creator, it's like what format it does this work in. And sometimes you need to know the format to really break the story. Um, so I was still kind of in that kind of I'm in our stage after like approaching 10 years um, working on this idea in the background like simmering because the bride just became everything um, and then Vince was someone I saw on Elk Mounting which he did which was another Kickstarter book he did with Jordan Clark mm -hmm. um, and I loved his work I thought it looked fantastic um, and then we kind of got I think I put out a Twitter call because I, I was again looking at the idea of may, maybe getting something going with miracles. Um, and I put out a Twitter call and he like jokingly kind of replied, like he, he was interested, but he was like, kind of like just a gift thinking I wouldn't say anything. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, dude. Okay. So I got this idea. <laughs> um, uh, and we couldn't figure out what we were going to work on um, at first. And then like, I was like, well, look, I've got this thing called the miracles, which is kind of, been around a bit and it's never really landed anywhere. Um, so I was like, do you mind checking it out and seeing, seeing if you're into it? Uh, and I showed him like, I think at that point I had essentially the first 20 pages scripted um, and like the general like overview of what the story is going to be and sent that to him. And he just like did a few sample pages and he just felt like perfect. Um, and I think at that time I was back on the idea of maybe doing it as a six issue arc at first. Um, and we're thinking, like, how are we going to do this? Should we pitch it to publishers? Are we going to kickstart it issue by issue? 
Um, and it felt like one of those stories where it got to a point, particularly when when we started getting the whole team together. So like Harry came on um, and the colours worked really well within his art. Um, and then Hass came on because I met him at a con here in the UK. And like, I was like aware of Hass and his work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then met him and he was like this sound dude. So I was just like, yeah, okay, I really need to work with him on something. Um, so yeah, he came on and we finally like, like a whole team kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it was kind of then, again, trying to figure out how to do it. And it, it was something I sort of realized pretty quickly then, but um, after once we got everyone, was the first 20 pages, which is so essentially the first issue, still doesn't have a huge amount which has happened. It's mm-hmm. sort of like the, the twist. It's not a big twist because it's essentially the pitch of a book. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this doesn't work well as an issue one per se um because like i say that we don't get far enough to get everything you need um to really show everyone the pitch but also surprise them with a twist which they're not expecting um which is like based on kieran gillen's ideas and what makes good first issues um he, he did like a great big blog post i want to say um <laughs> might have been in his email um <laughs> about like what makes good issue ones um so that was when I really started playing with the idea of like, what if this is actually a graphic novel where the having to break a story into pieces and be like, oh, right, I've got to get every, like almost like a free arc structure into every piece. And instead I can let it flow and let it breathe better is the way to go. And then that's where we finally landed with, oh yeah, this is an OGN. This is also a 120-page OGN, um, and uh, Lids was still very much up for drawing it. Um, and like he just did a post actually um, on update on the Kickstarter where he showed some of those original pages as he'd done them. What would have been two years ago when we were initially thinking of it as a six-issue arc, um, compared to those same pages when he's redone them now for the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really interesting actually. Even I was like because it was a long time ago, and I look at the new pages now. Um, so to see them again, side by side, it was like, oh, wow, there's, there's actually been so much growth in those two years. Um, and it looks, not very really looked bad before, but like it looks so much better now, and it feels like, oh, we're finally right. This is the right path. So, yeah, it just felt we got the team together. Everyone was, seems to be on the same page. Everyone's perfect. And we're finally at that stage where, yeah, it was Kickstarter time. Um, Technically, Kickstarter time was probably, uh, oh God, when did we originally plan it? I think we were going to launch it in October initially, mm-hmm. but I'd not long done Glitter Vipers and um, we were still waiting to get the book back from printers and stuff. So I still had to like send it out. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to get all rewards posted before I started another campaign. And of course, being October, obviously you're getting closer and closer to Christmas. And I'm like, I don't want to do it during a holiday season. I tried doing a Kickstarter once during a holiday season and it it burned. It's just like, it's not the time of year to do um, a Kickstarter. So that was when we just thought, you know what, New Year, we can get a a little start on book. Um, So we're like, we're a good chunk. Um, I think we're probably about 10% drawn. Um, We're working on colors and stuff now. So hopefully we'll have like some proper full preview pages um, going up during the campaign um, as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going well. It's looking great. Um, everyone on the team is someone I wanted to work with. 
um, and they seem really keen on the idea. So yeah, it's all going great. <laughs> that, that's that's fantastic. And and I, I, I got to say, you know, we've had uh, a number of guests at this point who've who've had uh who've hired uh Hassan Asman Alho as a letterer. I and I love well first of all I love his lettering. He's fantastic. Yeah. But I, I I love how like to a man, to a person, like he's just Haas. Like he has become yeah. you know, yeah. he's got one of the he's got one of the longer names in comics, but he is those four those four letters. <laughs> yes. Ubiquitous. Yes. It's like, it's just like uh, I think it's how you were introduced to me. Even it's just like oh, this is Hass, and I was just like oh right, yeah, Hass, he's cool. Uh, I've heard of him, I've heard of him online, and seen his work, and then all of a sudden I was just like, this guy's really cool, actually. So yeah, <laughs> he's a really nice guy. Absolutely. Also puts out a fine magazine. Um, so you know, oh, in those yeah. in those early stages, you know, when you're when you're talking to to Chris Anka and you're talking to Zoe Thurgood, Thurgood you know, mm-hmm. what is like. Are there like character designs or even like like pages from them like you've got kind of secreted away somewhere or we never got as far as pages mm-hmm. um did we no i don't think we ever got as far as pages for anyone what did zoe maybe i'm oh god i'm wondering myself now uh no i don't <laughs> think anyone got as far as pages we did character mm-hmm. designs so um some of them are actually on um the kickstarter like we i've teased like a couple mm-hmm. um but there's going to be more um most of the old designs by previous artists who've been on on the project in some form or other um will probably be included in the hardcover edition um so like the there's obviously in our kickstarter we're doing a paperback version and a hardcover version uh, the hardcover version is super limited it's only going to be like 500 mm-hmm. um and of those, it's actually got an extra 20 pages in there. Um, not of story, but extra like back matter and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where we'll probably have more of these early designs. So I think basically every character, every main character um, in the book was designed by pretty much everyone who's on it. So it'd be like Chris Anker, uh, Gavin Mitchell, my pride um, originator um, and co-creator started uh it, before it was called the miracles um back when i it was initially called wonder boy um and then i was like i don't want to get sued um <laughs> tenacious so, go sue somebody <laughs> you know and then it was and then we called it miraculous and then i found out there's like a french cartoon called miraculous so i was just like rick i can't call it that either um so yeah then it we finally landed on the miracles and that kind of actually worked well because i think initially the story was very focused on just Elliot Morgan, mm-hmm. um, sort of like the lead point of view character in it. Um, but then I thought it got to a point where I realized the story was actually becoming much more about family and how like each one of them has a moment in it. Um, and so it kind of made more sense to call it like the miracles and be about them as a family. Um, so yeah, that's, it, it helped in a way. So yeah, we got, <laughs> we was like, yeah, Gavin Mitchell, Chris Anker, uh, Andrew Sebastian Kwan was on it for a little while and um, Zoe Farragut and I think everyone basically designed nearly every one of the you know they touch on the design of the main characters um, so yeah it's kind of been around and there's going to be plenty of designs there for the back matter to play with but a few of them are shown in the mm-hmm. Kickstarter story uh, campaign story so people can get like, a little feel of like oh we're where the evolution sort of began Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of it's one of those weird things you don't want to reveal too much of the making of the sausage but at the same time I think like seeing the evolution of character design particularly when it's involved 
different artists mm-hmm. um, can be really fascinating to see. Um, because like, I think a lot of people will think that there's a similarity um, mm-hmm. between all the designs. Um, but I think really that just comes from the fact that like, I had a very specific image in my head of what these characters look like in the sense of like, you know, having them be very primary color superheroes from the comic book world that they're in, um, who then tra- translate into the real world and then sort of work out how these primary color costumes and things like that would work in a real world setting kind of thing. Um, and I think it was really, obviously Chris is great at costume design, so he obviously did a great hand on that, and um, Zoe did some wonderful ideas on it. But it was really like, I think Vince who finally like nailed down the perfect marriage between something which was comic book world, um, primary color superhero and real world and sort of making it look like it could really exist kind of thing mm. so yeah it's it's been interesting to see the evolution um and if people are really into that they can see a little bit of it on the campaign um and they will probably be able to see a lot more if they get the hardcover uh, we do love good back matter you know I, I i was thinking about this you know now that we're sort of in the age of streaming like even like with movies now, you don't get mm-hmm. like that bonus content that you used to with like, you know, your, yeah, your exactly. gag reel and your outtakes. So like, this is kind of, you know, unless you're, you're like still collecting Criterion movies, Chris Edelman. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, inside joke. Um, you know, yes. you're not getting, comics are like the, one of the last places to get that experience. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's always been one of those things I love as the, the, little bit of me that is a collector it's the thing i love like the most is like whenever um someone's releasing a, a hardcover version of a run which even if i picked them up individually even if i got the trade paperbacks if they mm-hmm. then release a hardcover and it's got loads of interesting back matter and stuff i'm buying that mm-hmm. you know i am gonna buy that too so like i bought like all of luther strode um as it came out Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had like the first two volumes in paperback as well, even though I have a single issues too. Um, and then they uh, release a gorgeous, huge um, hardcover, which has like some of the early designs and process and like how they sort of got there. And I was just like, oh, I got to have that. Um, and it helped as well that I picked it up at New York Comic Con and mm-hmm. I got to get it. I had it signed um, by uh, Trad Moore and um, uh, Justin Jordan. So it, it was like, oh, great. Yeah, I got it again signed as well. So why not? <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's always, for me, it's always been about a really nice hardcover. <laughs> the number of absolute... Take that as you will. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, we all got to have that shelf porn, man. <laughs> and, uh, that's the hope with the hardcover is we, we're sort of going all out to really do like a really gorgeous, um, I mean, like the, the paperback's going to be gorgeous as well. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, that's an afterthought. Like, um, they're both going to be totally gorgeous and we're going to put all we can into the design. Um, but like, I'm really looking into everything we can do to make the hardcover just that little bit extra special um, kind of thing. Um, and obviously it's, it's got a Kevin Wilder cover, so what more could you want? <laughs> yeah, you know, that was one of the, that was actually the very next thing I was gonna, gonna say. I mean, you know, <laughs> Kevin Wilder cover, is that, was that like a bucket list uh, goal for you, you know, art-wise? <laughs> I, I mean, like, technically, yes. I mean, like, I, I know Kevin uh, for a while, and he technically did something for the Pride, like, way, way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might have been it might have been before the Kickstarter, or it might have been when we did initial self-published Kickstarter of um, a Pride hardcover. 
Um, and he did this massive A3 print, which was like a fashion print of the Pride characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've probably still got a, a bunch of them secreted away somewhere in the house. But um, but yeah, we did loads. Um, that was where I discovered I'm never doing an A3 print for a Kickstarter again. Um, just because they are a pain in the ass to post. Uh-huh. Um, but like, other than that, look gorgeous. Like, go for it. But like, no, they are a nightmare to post. Um, particularly when you post into different countries. Um, so yeah, it was, if I ever do print as A4, that, it's easier. Um, going off track. Um, so yeah, I knew Kevin from way back then and he did this gorgeous pride print. Um, and like we met a few times at San Diego Comic Con. Um, and he's like the sweetest guy um, and really awesome. And then I think we, I was coming up with how I wanted the design of this book to look. And I wanted it to have almost... Um, a split between like a graphic design element and kind of look more like a book design as opposed to traditional comic design. Mm-hmm. And like when I was thinking of like artists I knew who can do that, I was like, oh, Kevin's right up there. I mean, he's actually done book covers for people. So I just sort of tentatively reached out. I was like, hey, you, you wouldn't possibly be up for this by any chance. And yeah, thankfully he was. And he delivered an absolutely gorgeous cover. Um, we're finalizing the final like trade dress design um, for the cover as it's going to appear on on the books themselves and once we've got that nailed down I'm hoping we will be doing a backers only um, update post on the campaign which will actually show the design process Um, so we'll actually show some of the other design concepts which uh, Kevin came up with um, because I gotta admit he actually I think there's about four in all um, and like all of them were absolutely amazing. And each one had like these ideas he had as well for like what we could maybe do to like really splash out on the cover um, in print. Um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of excited to share those um, as well and sort of show how we got to where we settled on and where that cover sort of generated from. Awesome. So when you're, you know, collaborating with with artists and, and talking out ideas and you're getting back character designs uh you know yeah. and, and and like you said it's it's evolved so much over time with all the different artists who have given you input uh, you know and and ending with vince you know what are sort of your you know fashion goals i guess how much input do you have there like so for example you know the designs i saw on the kickstarter page you know the the guys have those those sort of like new 52 superman like mm-hmm. high neck collars with the little Adam's apple divots in the middle. And they all have the big letter cutouts that you can read into the, their, you know, their torsos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are there super certain superhero looks that you tend to favor overall? Um, yeah, I kind of, I got to admit, as much as I love like a classic, um, you know, it's painted on skin kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I really like superhero costumes that look practical. Um, that look like they could be made. Um, I think that's, I'm not a cosplayer myself, but I, I, I have an admiration of cosplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of where that comes from because like classic superhero costumes, you could just get one of those like skin type morph suit things and you've, you've got it. And like they, they uh, are in themselves difficult to make and everything, but like they are essentially a printing process and you kind of get it and you, you're fit and you're fine. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think something we it looks like it's been more constructed um, is always a little bit more impressive. So I love superhero costumes in comics, which look like they have that in mind. Like they, they look like, Oh, we could make this if we wanted to kind of thing. Um, so like 
not to the extent, but like, I'll say something like um, the X Men movies, kind of like all at least the earlier X Men movies, where they're all kind of monotonous and, and they're all going for the, oh, this is how it would work in the real world. And it's just, <laughs> no, I want something to still be bright and colorful and superhero y, but I'd love it if it looks a bit more like it can be made, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's actually practical. I mean, it's kind of like even the fact that controversial um comic opinion time and controversial costume opinion time i love the boob window power girl costume um and it's because like when it's depending on the artist obviously but like when some artists draw it it looks like a physical costume it doesn't look yeah boob window and all it looks like it's actually physically made and i remember seeing like a, a fan movie someone did where they were power girl and they did the boob window costume and everything and it looked amazing in practicality. Like, obviously, the basis of where this design comes from obviously has its own questionable elements, <laughs> um, but the, the design is iconic and it looks fantastic. And when, when it's drawn in such a way that it looks like clothing, Mm-hmm. Um, it can look really good. So yeah, I kind of, I got a bit, I, I kind of love that costume and that's part of why, like you, when it's drawn where you can see the seams, I'm like, yeah, that's perfect. You know, you can actually feel like I, someone, well, I can't, but someone could sew that and make something which is actually wearable like that. Um, so yeah, now now I'm going to get all, all the hate because I like the boob window, but I'm a gay man, for God's sake. I like drag. Like, and that costume is drag. Like, that is, that is straight up drag. Um, I mean, most, let's face it, all superhero costumes are drag. Um, but at the same time, that one was very drag. Uh, on, an Amazon, on a woman who's supposed to be like six foot something and built like that. Built like it a is... Huge tits. Um, and yeah, you've got the boob window and everything. And it's just like, yeah, that, that is full on drag queen with a breastplate on realness. So yeah. Totally, totally love that costume. Um, I'm not, I was going to say, I don't know about the costume now, but then again, Power Girl's not really in anything now, I guess. So, yeah. It's a shame. I love the character of Power Girl as well. She was one, she's genuinely one of my favorite characters in DC. Just popped up last week in a cameo in the final issue of Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Oh, okay. Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor love some what? Power Girl. So Harley she is just- Amanda Connor's um, drawing of Power Girl in particular. I love more than anything because like um they worked together on power girls on series i think for a while mm-hmm. and um obviously that was during the boob window period um and the way amanda drew it just looked fantastic um and i think that's when it helps as well because like yeah that costume probably came from a man designing it blah blah um but then it took a woman drawing it to really think about like you know here's how we do this when it's not just ob- objectifying mm-hmm. um because like i say even a boob window can can be done in a way which isn't objectifying. Um, granted, it's it's also a unitard bikini line thing, which is just like, okay, that's a little difficult, but still, you know? <laughs> you know, isn't the, isn't the mythology with Power Girls that Wally Wood just kept drawing her breasts larger and larger just to see if anyone would notice? I, I feel like I've... <laughs> I feel like that's the legend that I've heard, but but again, yes, you you put a character in the right hands and people yeah. see beyond the boob boob window, uh, exactly. so to speak. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of like so, like there's there's other artists who are obviously able able to do it really well. Like uh, Luciano Vecchio does really good characters, um, character and costume design where he draws the costumes so that they look like they have practical elements. Um, when he does like costumes which are really like built up like that, it really looks fantastic. Um, and I just love as well characters with 
really high contrast color schemes. Mm. So you don't get it very often because I, I think I don't, I'm sure I've heard somewhere there's like a design reason you don't do it. But like, I love a white costume. Like, white with like some sort of black or gold trim or something like that it mm-hmm. can look really stunning um i mean like for example my one of my favorites iron fists uh white costume oh yeah mm-hmm. it's so much better than the green and yellow costume like it is literal perfection i mean it's also brought by Stuart imminent so you know um but like <laughs> white and i don't know if it was if Iman was aware when he was drawing it, but Iron Fist in that white skin tight costume with an ass that just don't quit. So yeah, <laughs> that was uh, that was perfection. Ah, certainly will not argue that. <laughs> nope. uh, so your work, uh, especially Glitter Vipers and Acceptable Losses, has a very strong voice of social conscience yeah. to it. Um, you did specifically say for this campaign, for the miracles, mm-hmm. that while you're going to be touching on the refugee experience and the role of heroes in the world, it's at its core a story about family. Yeah, yeah. I... How do you find the balance between the character and the message in all caps? Because that is a balance that at times can be tricky. Yeah, yeah, and I totally get that. And I mean, like, the Pride's also got, like, massive elements of it as well and i mean literally the whole first season of the pride was entirely about having a team fighting for better representation and also to not have gay characters seem a joke or a gimmick um and like although there is humor in the book like the main what i think sometimes goes over some people's heads a little bit is the book isn't a comedy and it's not really a satire either in that respect like certainly not as far as lgbtq people are like it's satirizes superheroes a little bit um but it's not a satire of the lgbtq community um for their capability to be the heroes in fiction um for me stories um of any kind of content like whether it be comics or films or even music, um, characters and stories are at their best when there is more than just the surface level to them. Um, when I'm coming up with a story, I don't often come in with, oh, I want to say something about this or um, I want to do this, a, a story on this kind of thing. I normally just coming up with the characters and a, and a story in general and the themes and things that it touches on actually come later. Um, Not to then be like, oh, I'll go back in a draft and insert them. But often when you are thinking about these things, like on some level, even subconsciously, they start bleeding into the work. And um, with uh, the miracles, yeah, if I just go through like how how it happened with the miracles, um, initially, like the whole thing of it was, I wanted to tell a superhero family, family story because I hadn't done a superhero family. I've done superhero stories. I've done a solo superhero, I've done a superhero team, but I've not done a superhero family a la, like, the Incredibles, Fantastic Four, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was like, I know I want to do that, but, like, if I'm going to do it, I also want it to be one of my more mature titles, so it's actually going to be a bit more, like, Invincible-level kind of um, storytelling than more than cartoony um, Incredibles or um, Fantastic Four, which never really touches on dark family drama or mature family drama. It's all very upbeat constantly, not that this book is not beat, but like 
like I say, more invincible in total. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was trying to think the best way to show it. Um, so that was kind of my main goal. And like I say, I was writing the story. Initially, it was, it was just Elliot's story. And then it sort of evolved into the family. And then that became the big thing, like writing, writing a family superhero story. Great. And I was doing it. And it was, it was bearing in mind the, la- the biggest section of breaking this story and finally getting to a point where I, I was coming to the end of it, etc. Um, and finally with a team that I was like, we we're gonna we have the team that's gonna make it. Um it was during the Trump administration and like the news was filled with refu- uh, the refugee um border camps, um, because that's what they are, they're camps. Um and sort of like the things which were going on. So obviously like the refugee situation was like something which was very much present um and very much sort of like on my mind as someone on the other side of the world who felt like I couldn't really do anything about it. And it was as this was all happening um, that we were kind of writing the story. Uh, we was, I was working on the story script um, and I sort of, it literally just occurred to me like, oh, well, technically these characters are refugees. Like they're a- technically illegal aliens to America who came over from a home which was being destroyed uh, and which was too dangerous for them to live in um for a better life or just to get away from where the immediate danger was and then wound up in this place where they had the opportunity for a better life but it meant hiding things about themselves and um having to live under the radar and things and that's kind of where the refugee element came in so that's where i say now though although it's an element of the book um and we touch on it and where we sort of end up, it becomes a very big thing um, in like the last act of the book um, without too many spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of became a point where it's just like, yeah, this is this is kind of a refugee story in a way. Um, so it, it's one of those things where the, the themes became, I became aware that they were present. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, I was, I would, I, whether I was subconsciously writing them in or whether it was just a case of just like, oh, actually, if you look at it this way, this is this is kind of a refugee story. Um, and it became something which I then felt like we've got to actually sort of turn into this a little bit um, instead of just like, because initially I thought, I think my idea was I, I wasn't going to lean into it mm-hmm. um, because I'm a white guy. I've never <laughs> been in that situation. This isn't my story to tell, etc. Um, but then it also got to a point where I was just like, well, it's not the most, it's not going to be an authentic story because I've not lived through that. Um, but I can talk about why I, the kind of things which it's making me feel seeing it happening. Um, so yeah, it, it, it became a, an element of it. Um, and I think that happens a lot of time with good stories. Like, I don't think anyone is actively going out there and thinking, I'm going to tell this opinion on this political matter or this social matter. Um, they, anyone who's really good is going in to tell a good story and they just happen to have these aspects to them. Um, it's why like certain groups' stories really don't work because they are actively going like, I just want to make someone upset. Um, and then they write in shit stories as a result because that was their goal. 
um, their goal was never about telling a good story. <laughs> um, and then you have like things like um, anything Mark Russell writes, where like when like for example, Exit Stage Left, mm-hmm. one of my favorite pieces of comics by Mark Russell. I don't think, even though it's very much a big part of it, like it's you know the, the Red Scare, the anti, um, the homophobic nature of America at the time. Mm-hmm. Stonewall is in there, um, a bit of everything. I don't think he was going in there being like, I, as a presumably heterosexual man, I'm going to tell the gay experience to everyone. It's like, no, he went in there going like, oh, I'm going to take this Hanna-Barbera character and I'm going to do this funny little twist on it. Um, but like, when you tell, tell that story then, you realise like in the writing, you can actually get across something which makes people think. Um, and that's kind of why I love that story so much because it's it's a pink bloody cat who's making you cry thinking about how awful we were to to my community but also like that community um, at that time. And like these things which you know happen in the course of that story were, aren't actually entirely made up. They're things which happened. Um, like not for you know someone near a. Um, Oh God! What's the dog's name? Uh, the blue dog, Huckleberry <laughs> Hound. Thank you, Huckleberry Hound. Um, not that there was actually like a gay playwright Huckleberry Hound out there, um, but like there was definitely probably a gay playwright out there, or, or certainly a gay man out there who would have done what happened with him. Um, and it's just like, yeah, you're telling real stories sometimes, and even when there is a message, you don't go into them thinking like, "This is my message, and this is what I'm writing about." You're like, "I want to tell a fun story," but I, you know, I would like people to think like um, any. St- and this is why I hate when people do like, "Oh, I hate politics being added to my comics." It's just like uh, I think you find all comics have politics in them, and they all have messages. Like if they don't, they crap. <laughs> um, like. Everything does, like absolutely any worthwhile piece of art has some sort of message. And I don't think anyone goes out specifically be like, I'm going to go on my platform and do this. It's just you tell a good story and like these things bleed into it because you know, you're a human in the world. So like the world bleeds into you and you bleed into your work and that's, that's how it works. Certainly. I cannot remember which person it was, but a, a couple of weeks ago I was watching a documentary about Fiddler on the Roof and mm. the, the history of the show. And one of the original, either is the, wasn't the director, was one of the writers or one of the people who did the music named names. And mm. it was because he was gay. Yeah. And if he didn't name names, he was going to be outed. Yeah. It's yeah absolutely. It was a real thing. Yeah. And like I say, it's, I obviously don't want to spoil um, Exit Stage Left for anyone who hasn't read it because you absolutely should go out and read it. It's a fantastic story. It's incredibly well written. Uh, the art is gorgeous. Um, it's incredibly moving. So mm-hmm. there's a recommendation for anyone. Exit Stage Left, Snyder Post Chronicles. Um, it's super, I think it's. I think you can get it all in a single trade now. Probably um, at this or point, it's been two years. Two trade, but it's yeah. yeah, it's it's even one big trade or it's in two trades. But it's um it's gorgeous. It's perfection. It's one of the best things to come out of DC in the last decade. Um, they even did a little stage play thing of it um a couple of years back, which oh, wow. I got to see. Yeah, I got to see a read through at New York Comic Con in 2019, um, which was awesome because it was um it was a fairly um small sort of like um 
audience then all sort of huddled together with these people doing the live reading. Um, and it was really sweet. It was really gorgeous. Um, I think I had Clark Ball on one side of me and Mark on the other. <laughs> and it was just really cute to see this, um, uh, this thing that Mark uh, created sort of be performed um, quite wonderfully. Um, and the, the guy who was reading Snagglepuss's um, lines in particular was fantastic, not least because he turned up in a gorgeous pink suit, um, which he just looked fabulous in and I was terribly jealous of, which is saying something because I hate wearing suits, um, but at the same time. Um, so yeah, it's uh, highly recommended, go and, see it, go and read it. But it's a great example of where a story has a message, but I don't think when you have messages and i'd say it's the same in my work you don't go out there thinking i'm going to make people think about this i'm not going to I, like because that's soapboxing and there's there's a time and place for soapboxes but like fiction isn't necessarily always it um and people turn off sometimes when it's in fiction and like i think that's why people like the pride was because it had all these social commentary moments and there's a few moments of soapboxy elements but it's not very heavy-handed and they're very short when they happen um the rest of it the whole thing is commentary um but like it's such an entertaining story i hope um that you don't notice it like you just get wrapped up in like oh here's a bunch of really brightly colorful superheroes having great fun adventures and oh they're fighting a giant drag queen now um <laughs> it's just and i'm just doing fun stuff but like everything kind of has a comment like even that even that particular show where they're fighting a giant dra giant mad drag queen um is kind of a commentary um on 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 something um which um i think people who watch a lot of certain competition programs might be able to get okay <laughs> i'm not skipping naming names because I, I they will soon <laughs> <laughs> um so you've got a pretty lofty goal with this uh with this particular campaign yeah. uh 48,000. um how does that how does that break down on your end i mean obviously you know a big chunk yeah. you're, you're shipping there's getting the creators paid but you know mm. uh it's um it's it's always scarier when I hear it in dollars because like it's thirty five thousand um, yeah. pounds, and then everyone tells me dollars is like forty thousand dollars. I'm like oh, Jesus, um, like thirty five thousand pounds is scary enough. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically because a it's a single piece. Like um, put it like this: thirty five thousand pounds is more or less how much it cost me to do season two of the Pride. Like, <laughs> and that's where I have a publisher to back me and sort of help me pay that and like um in you know in advance and we sort of make the book for them and then they'll make the money back and then everything split whatever mm -hmm. um i don't have that when i'm self-publishing um when i'm self-publishing i'm paying for it out of pocket um or like say through crowdfunding unfortunately i come from a working class background uh, i still work a retail job um before anyone thinks back to essential worker, there's actually retail jobs here in the UK which are considered essential. Um, and mine is connected to the NHS, so I'm, all kinds of things. It's convoluted. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm essential worker, but it's also technically a retail job. So I'm still working retail. Um, I got bills to pay, um, and it's like, yeah, I can't afford 35 grand. And 
where some people might go like, oh, think about your savings. Like, again, I will reiterate the point that I am in the working class in the South Wales Valleys. We don't have savings. <laughs> that is not a thing that is probably going to happen in my lifetime. Um, I may never own a house. I've <laughs> sort of succumbed to that idea that I'm a millennial born in South Wales from a working class background. Savings are just not a thing for me. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, so I look at things like crowdfunding and realize that like, this actually lets me make the things I want to make. Um, the problem being, I don't have anything which I can put in myself to cut, back, uh, to cut it down. Um, as it is, um, I've actually paid for a few of the pages and like the uh, Kevin's cover. Um, and I'm actually not taking a cut um, myself now um, so that I could get this as low as possible before mm. we launched um, the goal. So basically the way this is breaking down, it's um, almost entirely the actual making of a book. So it's the art, the ink, uh, inks, the colors and the letters. Mm -hmm. um, that comes up for about somewhere around the 20 grand. So like the majority of it. Um, printing then is another 10 or grand um, to do two different kinds of books as well, the hardcover and paperback. Um, even with a print run of just 500 on the hardcover. Um, and then, like, you've got a bunch of them which you have to do for postage um, because postage is ex very expensive now, um, post-Brexit, post-COVID, well, mm. mid-COVID, um, <laughs> and everything, like, it, it's just crazy. And, like, so as, even with working with a um, distribution company in America, we're going to handle our American distribution so that we could keep the postage costs for that region as low as possible. Mm -hmm. um so even with all that like it was still a case of like adding it all up i was like yeah this is genuinely what i need like i can't make this without it i've got nothing which i can put into it myself mm -hmm. um and some people might look at like oh go get maybe if you'd save money from your last project or stuff like that it's just like well yeah but the last project was kickstarted as well and again that was well, i only ask for what i need to make it mm -hmm. um some people look at sort of certain crowdfunders out there um, not necessarily Kickstarters, um, but also Kickstarters by certain people who maybe shouldn't be on Kickstarter um, mm -hmm. and sort of look at that and just be like, oh, well, you know, they've made all that money. And I'm just like, yeah, but they didn't need it. Like, I don't buy a pool or a house out of my Kickstarter money. I make a book. That's what I do out of it. So, like, I think everyone certainly everyone so far uh, has been very understanding that a lofty goal as it is they know i'm not trying to rinse anyone i'm not trying mm -hmm. to be like oh i want them to pay for me to get a flat or something like that and this is paying for a book literally all that money uh, goes on a book and when everyone's sort of paid for the work they did <laughs> none of it will be left in my account so it's just it's just what needs to happen and the wonderful thing about something like kickstarter kickstarter is that people from my backgrounds, um, and, and even people from even harder, back, harder backgrounds than I've had, um, can afford to do these things. They can actually make the things they always dreamed about making. Um, and it's a lot easier to do. Um, the other big difference is like a lot of people on Kickstarter are just doing single issues. Are we doing a 40 page comic or something mm -hmm. like that? You know, um, I'm doing a book. It's a 120, well, 120 page story there's back matter even in the in the trade paperback so it's either 140 page or 160 page depending on which kind you get mm -hmm. um so yeah it's 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 a big old book it's a it's a chunky boy um because <laughs> like if, if i'm gonna do a book it's gonna be something weighty um which also doesn't always work in my favor because the weight you is the more postage it is but 
there you go. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I get that it's lofty. Um, I get that it's scary. Believe me, I get that it's scary. <laughs> but it's, it's also a case of like, that's how much comics cost. Um, I think sometimes people don't realize that um, as much, um, particularly, particularly when they're thinking about um, superhero comics and things um, like the mainstream, like Marvel, Marvel DC, um, how much, um, how often they come out and things like that mm -hmm. is there's two aspects, which I think people overlook and it's the economy of time, which is involved in making comics and the economy of money involved in making comics and what they sometimes maybe don't realize is that doing when you pay, when you're paying a whole creative team um you are looking probably even on a, something like a marvel or dc book at a initial outlay of probably 30 to forty thousand dollars um for a six issue arc um that's probably just on average what you're expecting mm -hmm. um, and that's if you're paying everyone well um, gotta, gotta remember like some of these companies don't pay everyone great they don't pay everyone equally mm -hmm. um, and they look for aspects to come from different places where they can pay less so like yeah okay they can make that's one way they help with the economy of money you know um, I don't have that access you know I can't be like oh I'm just gonna talk to a lettering uh, company out of the Philippines who are going to charge me a lot less. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, there's the economy of time. And I think a lot of com comics fans don't get it, particularly people who stick to pretty much Marvel DC books, is what they don't necessarily understand is that some of those books have been planned for a year or more before they're made. Um, the, there's another aspect of the economy of time, which in the world of mainstream comics which i still don't understand um in, which is how they may seem to make the actual making of things to the last minute um so that you always wind up with delays or, or fill-ins and stuff like that it's like for me that does make sense but i'm an independent creator who's done indie comics so far so i've just not been in that world yet maybe it makes sense when you're doing it um but yeah i think i think a lot of people maybe don't necessarily understand how much making comics is um and when you're doing it by yourself and when you come from certain backgrounds like i say it does mean that you do need all the help you can get mm -hmm. um so yeah that's that's kind of where we landed with the kickstarter um it was i mean initially it was higher um so literally i we i tried to work out every way i could to bring it down so as it is i don't get paid for this um so i I've written a 120 page script. I'm not making money on it in theory. Um, the benefit will be obviously when comic cons are back, um, I will be able to go to comic cons with another book on my table and then that will make money. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other benefit is also by doing it this way, I'm also not technically making a loss. I'm essentially breaking even because the, the, campaign has funded the production mm -hmm. um so that money comes in my account and leaves immediately but it's fine it's not actually in theory it's not more than i got if you know what i mean mm -hmm. or at least that's how that's how kickstarter works with me anyway mm -hmm. <laughs> um i'm sure there are people out there who are actually much better financially headed than i am and are able to really make things work um on a lower budget and on a with even like getting some money to set aside or something but like for me i'm just like yeah but i don't I guess on some level, I don't value money. Like, 
I had it come in and then it goes out and then I get something out of it. Like, and that's, that's, that's all it is. I get, and that's something I get is a shiny new book. So. You'd rather have goods and services <laughs> library yeah. than Scrooge McDuck's money bin. I respect Exactly. That. Exactly. Like great big library, like diving into a pit of money's never appealed to me. Um, anytime I saw that cartoon, I was just like, how's that duck not dead? <laughs> <laughs> You should have massive head trauma. <laughs> um, so yeah, this 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 one, uh, the miracles comes pretty quickly on the heels of of glitter vipers, and you mentioned already, you know, in the fall, you were you were just getting ready to you know do order fulfillments and and, and everything. Mm-hmm. How is there a section of your of your flat that's basically like a full time Kickstarter for f- fulfillment <laughs> warehouse? Um. It's actually got, I, I actually live at home with um, my parents. I get, okay. again, money. Um, <laughs> so I live at home and it was got to a point where my parents' house was being taken over by boxes. And um, we were, I was coming up to Christmas this year and my mum was like, I really want to be able to eat at the table. Like, can we, can we get rid of these boxes? I'm just like, okay, let me look at what we can do. So, um, I have now made the mature life decision of getting a storage locker. Um, so I have, I am the fine owner of a storage locker here in South Wales, um, where my stock lives. Um, and I just get a couple of boxes out at a time as I need them. So at the moment, the storage locker is looking pretty full. <laughs> um, but because uh, unfortunately, like I say, obviously middle of a the pandemic, there's no Comic Con. So mm-hmm. I can't. Uh, can't sell any books, so that's great. The good thing is, although this campaign, this has been actually really interesting. I'm sure people who um, do a lot of Kickstarters um, and haven't had access to this yet would be really interested in. Um, I was given the beta for doing add-ons, so like people mm-hmm. could back a tier and then select add-ons. And like some of the selections I put is actually my my back history um, of books. So mm-hmm. I've put Vipers on the example losses. Um, they've been going down really well. Like, I got really confused at first when I was looking at, like, um, people backing at, like, a £30 tier, um, but they've backed £80. And I'm like, why are they backing so much money? And then I realized, I checked into it, and I was just like, oh, they just bought my entire back catalogue. Um, so I'm going to get all these new boxes come in, but in theory, a lot of those boxes are going to go out as well. So I, I'm actually quite looking forward to being... Um, having a bit more room in my storage locker. <laughs> I might put some of this crap in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, wanted to make sure that we got to this. Uh, you know, you've got another kind of big reason to celebrate right now. Uh, Dark Horse in June is going to print an omnibus of your your queer superhero team book, The Pride, uh, which we've mentioned a yeah. few, quite a few times in this uh, this chat. Um, you know, it, it's almost like the, um, it feels like as, you know, as an outsider, of course, you know, the culmination of, you know, this self-published book that you submitted to Comixology and then it got branded a Comixology original. And now Dark Horse, uh, you know, is, is publishing Comixology originals. You know, what is it, mean for you as as the creator that that this is happening now it feels awesome um like that that is as obvious as it probably sounds um it is wonderful it's my biggest dreams for the pride when i was first starting out was that the book could potentially go on past me um that i might create characters i might create something which outlives me um or at least my connection to it um, 
because as well as that, as well as the fact that you know that just sounds awesome to me, um, there's also the fact that like it's an LGBTQ book, and I'm only one of those things. Like I'm gay. I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. a lesbian. I'm not bi. I'm not trans. Um, so the idea that maybe someday like other writers who are those other identities could come in and tell their stories with those characters, that is awesome. And this kind of feels like a potential step towards that um, because this is when the book's going to be more accessible than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, comicsology in theory, like that, that you can get comicsology almost anywhere. Um, it's super accessible, but yeah, there's still a lot of people who prefer their books physical. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people w- would love to get it at the comic shop. And when I was self-publishing things, so even though I had like a trade of the first season, um, and a hardcover version at one point as well, like very few comic shops could stock it and almost entirely here in the UK, if there was any, because once you started adding postage, which, you know, I couldn't like absorb any of that, like I'd have to charge for postage, mm-hmm. it would become not worth a comic shop's while. Finally, though, now that it's coming out from Dark Horse and is therefore available through the Diamond di- uh, Direct Market, it's made it available to every comic shop in the world. Um, and it means anyone can order it, anyone can ask for it. Um, comic shops have responded really well to it so far. Um, I did like a little email um, around to a bunch of comic shops, um, just sort of saying, hey, it'd be really awesome if you could stop this. It was coming out in Pride Month, so just look great right in your window or any kind of Pride displays you want to do. Um, and a lot of got back to me and were like, oh, we were already going to order this. Um, or just being like, oh, thank you for letting us know, but like, this looks awesome. So um, people have responded really positively, the retailers in particular. So I'm really happy to have that happen. Um, it feels great. Like, I know I'm downplaying it, but it's kind of like, um, but yeah, it's uh, it does feel fantastic. And I'm really excited. I kind of want to see, for me now, it's kind of want to see what it will mean. Um, I know what I would like it to mean Um, like I would hope that we sell really well um, but it puts me in good stead to get another season out because I've certainly got a lot more stories of pride to tell myself Mm -hmm. before it starts outliving me Um, I've got things I would love to do with the series um, which might start that idea of other people um, being involved in creation Um, but yeah it's it's one of those things where I'm not wanting to count any chickens before they hatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of hoping that this is a positive moment uh, for the Pride. Um, certainly seeing a lot of um, people I really respect and people I look up to and that I'm massive fans of making such wonderful comments about the series, which I've been sharing on Twitter as well as part of my like retailers, please buy. Um <laughs> It's been really nice to see both and it's always been um, uplifting to me in a way because it's weird. The pride to me is something I started in my bedroom when I was 15. Like that was when the first characters started coming to coming to exist. And when I started putting it out, um, I was scared that no one would want it. Um, but this was just something for me kind of thing. And obviously it's where it is now. Now it's a book which is going to be in comic shops around the world. One of the most legendary publishers in the world is publishing it. It's amazing um, and elating. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping it's a it's a step to something uh, more um, for the series in the future. Um, so yeah, the more people order it, the more likely that's going to happen. So please get ordering. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed. It's going to be um, hopefully exciting times. It's 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 still weird seeing it because like I say, it's it's um, it to me it's still that little book which mm-hmm. I just um I just published because I want to see it and um and that I was making out of my bedroom. <laughs> so to see it get to that stage, um, it's really really awesome. It's really awesome. Well, that's, uh, you know, definitely happy to to, to see that happening. Um, oh, thank you. Let's let's uh, let's cool let's cool things down. We're we're we're, <laughs> we're coming down on the decline here, uh, Matt. I think it's time for pet corner. Tell us about your cat. <laughs> All of it's a little shit, um, <clears throat> and I love saying it like that because I know someone called Oliver who every time I tweet about him thinks I'm talking about him. Um, <laughs> So I'm just loving that. It's like, so yeah, again, Oliver Gerlach, I'm not talking about you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, Oliver's fantastic. We've had him now for, God, how old is he? God, he must be about eight now. Um, seven or eight. Um, so wild. So he's he's a middle-aged man of captain now. Um, he's moody. He does not like pets, but he wants them. Um, he always bites me um there are other people in this house like he he every day he gives my brother a haircut um he will groom my brother has a full head of hair i obviously have nothing for him um (laughs) whereas he will get up behind him and he will be grooming him for like half an hour uh whereas if i go near him it's a bite um and yet he always wants me to go near him uh to stroke him it's just like well really really you want to come near me but you want to bite me okay um, so yeah, he's he's a he's a capricious little shit, <laughs> but I love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's cats. He is a fat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep, I I understand that capriciousness. As I look and I see Bess, one of my cats, who invariably sees cats on the television mm-hmm. and walks and goes up and stands up on two legs and like wants to pet. But when we now have a new cat, the most laid-back cat in the universe, Bess is up on the stairs looking at him in this, what are you doing in my house? And it's like, wait, and she goes near him and she's like, which is better than the hissing that was happening a couple weeks ago. But but it's like, come on, you you like we had kittens on the television yesterday and you were like, hello, hello, <laughs> you my friend. And you have a friend who, ah, cats. <laughs> That sounds like Oliver. Sounds like Oliver as well. Um, with the thing with Oliver though, he 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 does like seeing other animals on the TV, uh, but he likes seeing the big cats. Like I think he thinks he's a tiger. Um, <laughs> that's the biting, I'm guessing. Um, but yeah, he like if it is a big cat on the TV, he is he's enraptured. He's just like sat there watching. He also loves the Netflix Bing Bong. Um, <laughs> So you know, like when you got the Netflix starts and you get that thing. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, he yeah, loves yeah. that. Loves it. Anytime it happens, he's like, "What?" So uh, yeah, that's that's all of his favorite is the Netflix sound. Mm. Best knows when she hears the television come on, regardless of where else she is in the house, she's right there because she knows that means I'm going to be sitting down for at <laughs> least twenty-two minutes, probably longer, and that means lap. <laughs> 
See, Oliver's not a lap cat. He, 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 well, ah, no, actually, he's never been a lap cat with me um, or my brother. Um, he generally doesn't go too near people, but as he's been getting older, he go, he's always on my parents' laps. Um, he, he had a, while, a period where he would sit between them. So, like, if they were sitting on a couch, he'd come up and sit between them, but he didn't want to go on them. He didn't want them to touch him. Just go between them. Now he's taken to like he will full on pass out on my mother's lap, and like I say, this cat weighs a ton. So by the time he finally moves, my mum is fully just like, oh my god. So uh, yeah, yeah, he's um, becoming a lap cat in his old age. Now uh, he gets uh, excited for the the Netflix chung. Um, mm-hmm. How about uh, how about Law and Order? Do you know, we don't try to that one. We never tried him about that one. He generally likes. Uh, my parents are watching a French drama at the moment. Okay. Um, on BBC, <clears throat> and it's got the the intro sequence with like the cast and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, just has a lot of things flying around with the screen, um, like the names <laughs> and the letters. I think he loves that. I mean, he would lit- he literally would just like follow them all for the whole intro sequence. So it doesn't always have to be sounds, but. <laughs> He is also, here's the other thing with Oliver. He is the scaredest cat I've ever seen in my life. Like, he's scared of everything. He's also incredibly aggressive to everything. Um, <laughs> oh, he tried to fight a dog through the window the other day. That was a big thing. He was sat in the windowsill, and this dog was passing outside, I guess, um, one of those little yappy dogs, and starts yapping at, the, at him through the window. I fully heard him, like, run across the windowsill at full friggin' pelt. Um, and you know, like when they're running across something and they close her out, so you just hear like, it was like that. I was just like, what the hell is he doing? I, I looked in the window and he's like fully puffed out and everything. So I was just like, he was fully trying to have a fight with a dog through the window. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he's bizarrely territorial and terrified all the time. Um, he, Your Oliver and our best would get along quite like, well. Oliver doesn't like boxes. Like, I've never known a cat that doesn't like boxes. Okay, Bess is your Oliver's long-lost sister. Because <laughs> it's the same thing. Bess, zero interest in boxes. She, she, mm-hmm. she is a lap cat. She's like the lappiest lap cat. We're very excited because we, we gave Cal his first box, as far as we know, yesterday. We adopted yeah. him from a shelter. He's an old, oh, he's, okay. he's 14, and he's oh. very old and very laid back. We gave him the first box, that we, and he was like, oh, boy, box. He's in there. He's scratching at the cardboard. He's like, oh, I'm sitting in this box. We got you a brand. You got me this brand new bed, and it's nice, but it's not this box. Oh yeah, we gave up on buying beds for all of it. Like he, you get him a bed, he'll go nowhere near it. Yeah, like he, he has his spots around the house, which are his bed. But like, if you get him an actual cat bed, he will go nowhere near the freaking thing. We've wasted so much money on that cat. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, um, what are you reading right now? Um, so I'm reading, uh, book-wise, The Mabinogion, um, which is a collection of classic Welsh fol- uh, folklore, um, mm. and, uh, tales, um, which is research, technically, for something I want to do down the line, might be later this year, might be next year, um, I kind of teased it on Twitter, the general overarching idea, <clears throat> but it's, um, um, giant welsh meccas 
um, and I'm somehow involved in the Mabinogion and all that. Hmm. Um, because I wanted to do a mecha book, you know? Um, because who doesn't want to do giant robots beating the shit out of things? Um, it's a good time. So, yeah. So, yeah, Mabinogion, but that's technically research as well. Um, Comics-wise... Um, I've been reading pretty much all the Future State books at the moment for DC, and I've been enjoying pretty much all of them. Um, I can't say there's been a single one which I thought like didn't work at all, but like you know, there's definitely been highlights and, uh, and everything. Like I really enjoyed the next Batman. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I've enjoyed the Wonder Woman uh, book, like Yara Floor. I'm very interested in. Um, I'm s- still a little baffled about how DC marketed the character as being like, oh, Latina, Latino Wonder Woman, she's Brazilian. Um, it's just the Amazon from the Amazon. I mean, you find out, oh, she, she's from Idaho. I'm like, oh, all right, okay. You, you didn't mention that she was American. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, they're great. Um, loving the Future State books. Marvel, I'm reading Immortal Hulk, mm-hmm. um, which I'm loving. Al's doing tremendous work in that series um the x books mm-hmm. uh in fact i just did a little um YouTube, uh, youtube review thing where i um was talking about x factor in particular i think that's one of the best written of them all and they're all very well written books yeah. you know? and you're reading the mabinogian and there's the morrigan so exactly so it all works out perfectly um i'm indie book what are my big ones? Oh, um, basically, if it's if it's by James Tynan before, I'm pretty much reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, something is killing the children, and um, Department of Truth are like my mm-hmm. two big indie books at the moment. Obviously, they're both written by James, mm-hmm. um, and they're both utterly fantastic. And they're both incredibly stunning, and I'm incredibly jealous of him for having such amazing ideas, which I would never in a million years be able to even contemplate writing. Um, his Department of Truth in particular is just so smart um, and so incredible. People are going to think this makes it sound boring, but incredibly well researched. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not a bad thing. That is entirely a good thing. Um, a good book should really be well researched and he's researched the crap out of it. Um, and Martin Simmons' art on that is just like, I, I've been friends with Martin for a while. Um, mm-hmm. When I found out he was doing a book with James, I was just like, dude, that's awesome. I didn't, he wouldn't tell me what the book was for ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out about the farm of Um And it's just next level from him. Like when he was sort of, I think he was hinting to me at a con here in the UK, but it was um, using a lot of like collage and things. And mm-hmm. I was just like, ooh, I've not, seen a book made through collage in and, and those kind of things in decades it feels like so it's just it's really awesome i'm just it's stunning to look at stunning to read real thought provoking as well um i would say like and i i i reckon that's going to be i would not be surprised if that's being picked up for a tv series and i don't mean like necessarily netflix drama i would highly expect that to be like a hbo drama um, I think we could probably expect to see something huge coming from that because let's face it, that, that book just lends itself to being a huge cultural ph- phenomenon so easily. Yeah. Um, I think I think it already is starting to be. Like I think that comic got a lot of discussion outside of our usual comic spheres. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, those are kind of the big ones. Um, there's a lot which I'm uh, excited for coming up as well. Like. Um, 
all the names are escaping me. Uh, um, I'm looking forward to the new champions uh, run when that starts, mm-hmm. when um, Luciano comes on and um, uh, Danny's right in it. Yes. Um, and uh, what's the... Uh, oh, um, the, the two new X-Men books. So two more, because I'm reading them all. Um, but <laughs> the two new X-Men books, which are coming, look fantastic. So I'm really looking forward yeah. to them too. Oh, cool. Sword as well. Sword at the moment. Like we're, we're only got like, two issues in, but like again, Ali Wing yeah. being absolutely fantastic. So like Ali Wing just writes space incredibly well. well. Just just let him write space on whatever he goes, whatever he's doing. Just let him write his, space. His Guardians <laughs> is so fun. I'm so oh, that's what I'm really looking forward to the new Guardians when Wiccan and Hulkling come into it because mm-hmm. hell yes. I I, I want Al Ewing to find a way to bring in Adam Warlock because I think Al Ewing would absolutely write a fascinating Adam Warlock. I think he would do a really good one, yeah. Like, I'm like I'm loving his style and I'm loving that he's managed to work the quirky, kooky, original Star-Lord concepts into the modern Star-Lord concepts and make it work. Like, it, those two things should not work together, and yet he's managed to find a way to make them work. And it's, it's brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, well, well, Joe, this has been uh, fantastic. Uh, how can people uh, follow you online and keep up with their work? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Joseph Glass. Uh, I'm on Instagram at, at Joe Glass. Um, basically, someone beat me to it on Twitter. Um, I'm on YouTube now. Um, so it's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Joe Glass Comics, um, which is still complicated. You'd probably find it easier through my Twitter. Um, and of course, on my Twitter and everywhere, you will see me constantly blabbering on about the Miracles Kickstarter. Um, or you could just search the Miracles on Kickstarter. Um, we are approaching 12 grand, 12,000 uh, pounds, last time I checked. So we are a good chunk towards our goal, um, but still a long way to go. So any help we can get is greatly appreciated. And remember that hardcover is incredibly limited. And when they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> But yeah, that's kind of the big way. That's the big places to follow me. All right, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. Thank you. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is now part of ComicsXF, formerly Xavier Files, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at ComicsXF.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel Spider-Woman series, and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember to spay and neuter your good night and good luck. WMQA.